You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a fellow Missourian, except he is from the opposite corner of the state as I am. And it's really interesting. I'm sure this is similar to a lot of different states where, like, you go to the northwest versus the northeast versus the southwest or southeast, central. Like, you can get into very different types of animals, quantities, quality, all of it. And so I'm excited to talk to Nick because he's up near St. Louis and I am down near Springfield. And so we're going to talk all about his passion, his obsession, his addiction to hunting deer, waterfowl. I mean, just growing up in the outdoors and absolutely loving being out. This is my kind of guy. I'm super pumped about this. Now I do want to let you know, it has been crazy here. I just did the most intense stock of my life for, I think, okay, I can't say any animal because mountain goat hunting, I, I don't think you can really compare to mountain goat stocks as far as the physical aspect of it, but definitely the most intense stock that I've done on an animal anywhere east of the Rocky Mountains, and it was for a turkey. Now, I'm going to share all of the details about it in a future turkey episode where me, my buddy Drew, and my buddy Austin all recap our 2022 seasons because it has been wild. And I've talked over and over about my addiction for turkey, not my addiction, my desire to go turkey hunting, my love-hate relationship with it. This year has made me more interested in turkey hunting, to say the least, and I might even say that I really like it now. I, I don't love it. It's not number one. I don't know that it will ever be number one, but it has been quite the year. And so I'm super pumped to share all of that with you guys. But before we do that, you're going to hear a lot of other good episodes in between now and our final episode recapping turkey season for 2022 here in Missouri. 
And in the meantime, let's hop on to the call with Nick. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys. So I know that last year was kind of a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers, but that's why we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Now, Go Wild is a free social community that was built by outdoors men and women just like me and you. Not only are your photos not censored on Go Wild, they're actually encouraged. And they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Check this out, though. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got uh, another fellow Missourian. His name is Nick Herschler, and he is... You're kind of in the opposite corner of Missouri from me. Yeah, uh, but welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, what, really excited to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. What What's it like being on that corner of Missouri and hunting? Because I feel like I get a lot of people in between where I'm at and Kansas City, um, but I don't know that I've ever had anyone from up near St. Louis. Uh, it's definitely interesting. So we got to... When I'm at school up here in the city, we got to hammer the public land pretty hard. Uh, but when I get to go back home, which is about 45 minutes west outside of the city, we have a little more uh, access to private ground. But public land hunting for anything always presents a new uh, whole new ballpark of challenges. So in a way, I feel like it makes me a better hunter because when I get in less pressured areas, it definitely seems like things work out in my favor a little better. But there's always the trials and tribulations of never knowing who's going to be next to you. So, Oh yeah. Public land can be, it can be scary at times. Um, I guess, why don't we jump into kind of what you're interested in, in the outdoors, if you wouldn't mind just sharing with the listeners, uh, what are your, what are your main passions? Uh, so I grew up mostly whitetail hunting, uh, for the better part of my life, but I recently, I'd say in the last eight or so years, have really gotten into waterfowl hunting. So that's become a real big passion of mine, but really kind of anything outdoors. I like to trout fish a lot, snag for spoonbill with some buddies from back home. So we just did that down at Lake of the Ozarks two weekends ago, uh, but mostly just whitetail and waterfowl, but I'm not opposed to trying anything. So. That's awesome, man. I I'm exactly the same way. Snagging spoonbill is something I haven't done yet. Uh, we had some friends in town this weekend and he was asking about all the different fishing opportunities and stuff. Cause we did a fly fishing trip and I was like, man, there's people who snag for spoonbill. They snagged. Where were they? They were, I think he said he was up on the Kenai in mm -hmm. Alaska. And apparently there's a certain time of year where you can snag salmon. And I didn't know that. I thought all salmon were like, you had to have them hooked in the lip, but apparently yeah. there's like a certain season. Anyways, I showed him pictures of spoonbill and 
his jaw hit the floor. He's like, people snag those and reel them in. I'm like, they do, man. It's a different breed. And I want to, I want to experience it at some point. I just haven't yet. Yeah. That's a good time. So I got a buddy who his family does it quite a bit. And so he called me last Friday night and was like, we're pulling out for Lake of the Ozarks at midnight. We're going to be on the water by 3 a.m. If you want to roll with us. And so we got down and we ended up catching, we caught five fish, all of them over 50 pounds. So this Holy is cow. we didn't catch anything that wasn't, wasn't a keeper, but that was, I want to say they're up to like in the three weeks of snagging season we've had, they've caught 18 to 20 biggest fish was 87 pounds. So oh definitely been, been hammering them down on the lower part of the lake. Dude, I need to get in. How long does snagging season go? Uh, till the end of April. So, oh, shoot. Got, so, yeah, so only about two weeks left. Dude, in I need to, I need to get in touch with somebody because that's something I wanted to do this year. And I just, yeah. I've never been, I've never done it. I've never like dug too far into it. And yeah. so I didn't know when season was. I knew it was sometime in the spring. I didn't realize it was already going on. So I'm going to have yeah. to try to get out and experience <laughs> that at some point. Yeah. So you, you're big into waterfowl, big yeah. into whitetail hunting. Um, interestingly enough, so we hunt, we hunt Stockton Lake every now and then mm-hmm. we hunt four rivers every now and then. I mean, we kind yeah. of hunt all over the state of Missouri, but I read an article years ago. I think my buddy Brad actually brought it to me and they had done a GPS deal on geese from the Mississippi river. They mm-hmm. were up near St. Louis yeah. and every single day they were flying down. And they were they were feeding at Four Rivers and then flying back to roost on the Mississippi. And I'm like, dude, that is that's, that's crazy. Like that's I, I feel like when I have to drive five miles to get a certain type of fast food that I want, like that's yeah. really inconvenient. But these birds were flying for a long ways just yeah. to feed in one spot. So it's possible that you and I have shot at the same goose before in, in two different parts. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Especially because a lot of the ground that we hunt is along the, the Mississippi River, but I never would have thought that birds were flying that far just for, for feed. Yeah, I, re- I I need to try to find that article, or maybe I'll reach out to – I'll talk to Brad. I see him tomorrow. Maybe I'll find out if he can he can dig that up again. Or yeah. I might have it saved in my phone. I don't know. Um, what, what got you into the outdoors? Did you grow up in a hunting family? Yeah, so I grew up mostly – you know, my dad and my grandpa hunted uh, – fished on both sides so my family it's kind of tradition that when we turn five the boys in the family get bb guns and so i'm the oldest of uh, my family so i have one younger brother and i have three younger cousins all of us have gotten bb guns at five pellet guns at seven learn to shoot learn to respect them and then by you know eight nine ten we're hunting squirrels running around the backyard and doing whatever rabbits and then Eventually, we have all gotten out in the, the deer woods by this point. Uh, my youngest cousin is six. He likes to come sit in the blind, but he didn't get to bring his own gun yet. So, <laughs> but I I was just on on a podcast with another guy and he was sharing with me. Um, I don't know why. Maybe I never put it together. Maybe I never put too much thought into it. But the legal hunting age in Missouri is six years old. Mm hmm. I've got a son who's five right now and he will be six at the end of August. He, he turned six. I'm terrible with dates. I'm terrible with names. I'm terrible with all the important information that I 
should remember. And I'm really good with stupid facts and jokes. Um, but I've always remembered his birthday because the very next day is dove opener, <laughs> sadly <laughs> enough. But he can yeah. technically come out dove hunting legally yeah. and carry a gun, which carry his own gun. Yeah. That that doesn't even make sense to me because yeah. he's he's so tiny and like I just I thought he was years and years away from hunting, but I was telling, I was telling my last guest that I will be putting in overtime this summer, just teaching him about firearms. He's got a BB gun. He's messed around with Nerf guns a ton, Um, but I need to get him geared up because I would love to take him out and help him experience some of his first, first hunts this year. Yeah. BB guns are always like a great kind of place to start. You know, it's just a good, kind of learning tool we all started with the iron sights and couldn't get the rule and joke kind of was well you can't upgrade your pellet gun until you can you know shoot real good with your iron sights so it was a big deal when we could put five bbs in the bullseye at, you know 10 yards or whatever with that that bb gun but using iron sights it's kind of a big deal so oh yeah that's a totally different ball game i mean i know in in colorado if you do like a muzzleloader tag for for deer, I think it might be with for any species, you have to use iron sights. And I'm like, you don't realize like it how much a powered or a magnified scope changes the game until yeah. you go back to trying shoot trying to shoot iron sights. And it's definitely a lost skill too. Like if you progress yourself out of it and then you don't practice it, you have to regress back to it. It's something that definitely takes people time to get get used to again. Oh yeah. I bought, I bought an AR this year. Um, and I bought like the flip up iron sights to put on a 45 Mm -hmm. and even just going through from a three power, like vortex red dot to iron sights. It, I mean, it was a totally different ball game, like trying to shoot through a little peep on the back Mm -hmm. to a post on the front with iron sights. I was like, dude, I, I couldn't confidently hunt with this. I, I mean, maybe out to 50 yards, but nothing past that probably yeah um what so you're hunting a lot of public land what what is the flyway like being that close to the the mississippi because i grew up hunting the mississippi but in wisconsin so you know i was a couple states north and it was pretty killer i'm not gonna lie the mississippi flyway is amazing if you hit the if if you hit the right spots what's that been like up by where you're at uh, so definitely have to put in your time to find the birds, figure out where they're at. Um, we didn't have boat access until the end of the year. I just bought a broke down like halfway through duck season. I was like, I'm tired of not being able to get to these spots I need to get to. I went and bought a 16 foot John boat for me and my buddies. But, uh, it's usually pretty good if you can find where they're at and if you're willing to put in the work to do it. So, you know, before we had the boat, that was putting on waders, dragging a jet sled and five dozen decoys a mile and a half across land to go get back in some of these holes. But we would come out with six or 10 ducks when nobody else was wanting to hunt. Um, it's kind of nice too, cause we have uh, Columbia Bottoms conservation area that's pretty close to us. And so a lot of mornings we would go there and try to draw in, but the river's close enough that if we wouldn't get drawn, we could take the boat and run over and and jump on the river or, you know, make that hike back to one of the, one of the timber holes. So you definitely have to put in the, the work and be willing to, 
to scout and put in your time to get there. But if you do, like you said, it definitely can be worth the reward for sure. Yeah, the the northern part of Missouri and then when you get to the east border and the west border, they both seem like they carry a lot of birds. Yeah. We are trying to figure it out here. I feel like there's there's very few places, very few ponds that bring birds back year after year where we're at. And yeah. it's tough to get access to ones that haven't already been, you know, claimed by somebody else. Yeah. But the nice thing about Missouri is you can drive an hour, two hours in any direction and typically get into some pretty good uh, waterfowl hunting. Yeah. What a, a, when it comes to deer hunting now, I don't, I think there's been new world records since, but for a long time, St. Louis County had the world record whitetail. Um, yeah, we, are you getting into big deer up there? So I don't get to hunt in the county much. I definitely see a lot of big deer while I'm up here, but most of my deer hunting, I go back home for, uh, but we see a pretty good amount of, of big deer in the county. The problem with up here is, like you said, a lot of the ground has been claimed already. Everybody and their mom kind of deer hunts. It's a little bit easier to get some ground to waterfowl hunt in the city because there's not as many people that do it. So the farmers will let you slip into their cornfields, but a lot of them lease it out for, for deer if they don't hunt it themselves. So you kind of have to go, go public or go home. And there's not a ton of public land up in the city that's not on the draw system. So we've put in for the draw being up here at school, but never have been lucky enough to get it. So we go back home and, and hunt ground that we have back there. Nice. Are you, are you primarily rifle hunting or are you archery hunting as well? Uh, so I do a mix of both. I don't get to archery hunt quite as much as I would like, just cause it's time that I have to get to get back home and then get out to the, get out to the farm to go. But I definitely always make it back home for, for gun season, just cause it's a big, big ordeal. My whole family gets together for it and takes the campers out and, and whatnot. But I shot, I guess not last season, but two seasons ago, I didn't kill a deer with my gun. I took my girlfriend out and let her get hers, but I shot two with my, my bow one early in like October. And then one, we had a cold front coming the last day of season that was supposed to snow. And I told my brother, I said, we're going cause you watch we're going to, their deer going to get up and move in the snow. And it was about seven fifteen January 15th. And the silly little doe come walking out and I was like, well, freezer's got room for one more. So you're dying today. And we smacked her on the last day of the season and he couldn't believe it. Cause I told him headed out to the farm that morning. I was like, I just got a feeling you're going to, we're all going to see deer this morning. Cause it was me, my brother, and my little cousin. And I was like, somebody's going to kill one. And I texted him from the stand. We hadn't even been in that long. And both boys were like, there's no way you already got one down. And I took pictures of it. <laughs> I was like, yep, she's laying right there. Dude, that's awesome. I love, I, I love the variety of weather that you can hunt in here. And I mean, most places, archery season is long enough to where you, you still almost have, you still almost have some of the heat from summer. And then once you get into late season, like January, oh dude, it can get frigid out there. And I love it. I, I think I would do away with 
the warm weather at the beginning if it meant I could have more cold weather at the end and extend it like even into February because I hate sweating in the tree yeah. stand. That's the worst thing ever. Yeah. If I had more opportunities to hunt snow, hunt the colder days, because I just seem to have better luck when it's cold, when the weather is nasty, when it's cold, when it's snowing, even a little bit of drizzle when it's just 40 degrees and sprinkling is way better than when it's 75 and sunny. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I've had to bring out, um, like in the, in the early season, I'll bring out a light jacket for at night. If I'm walking out, if the temperature is going to drop, yeah. but I've, I've found that bringing that out, no matter what, even if it's going to be nice all the way until I get back to the truck, like I put it in a branch above my head just as extra shade because dude there have been times when i'm out there and i'm looking on my phone and it's like 91 degrees in september yeah <coughs> excuse me yeah 91 degrees in september and i'm like why do i live here this yeah. is this is terrible i don't want it to be 91 degrees ever much less when i'm trying to deer hunt and the worst part about it too is i'll tell myself all summer this year, I'll wait till October. I'm not going to go and fight the fight the heat. And then sure enough, September 15th rolls around, and I'm like, I haven't been in a tree stand in like eight months, so yeah. I'm going. And then, then I sweat, and I get mad. I'm like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? But can't kill the addiction. No, I, I'll brave the cold any day. Yeah. But, and, and I've never bought, I've never bought like, uh, one of those hard-sided tower blinds before. I've made like a box blind, you know, it, like every guy has if he's got extra plywood and two-by-fours around. Um, now that's out of the question with the price of lumber lately, but um, I've never built one specifically to get out of the cold, but I could totally see myself building one and putting like a bunch of little battery-powered fans in it or something just to get out of the heat in the early season. For sure. I, uh, are you like, when you do archery hunt, are you, uh, are you hunting from the ground? Are you doing a hang on or are you doing saddle? What's your um, preferred method? Mostly ladder stand. So in the last couple of years, my family's gotten some ground, so it's a little easier to leave, leave out permanent sets. So we've got, uh, like four or five different ladder stands, uh, two ground blinds, and then what we call the uh, a deck stand, which is my <laughs> parents wanted to put a new deck on our house. So my dad and I disassembled the old deck, took it apart and put it all on trailer, drove it out to the farm and reassembled the deck and ratchet strapped it to a tree. So we have a 12 by 14 platform in the middle of the woods, ratchet strapped to a tree with a staircase that goes up to it. And it might be the most redneck invention we've ever come up with, but it is beautiful to have a lawn chair in all the room you want. You can gun hunt off of it, or you can just sit in a lawn chair with your bow. That's hilarious. My, uh, I, I haven't done anything crazy redneck like that yet. I've thought about doing some stuff. I thought about getting like an old camper and mm -hmm. uh, I found pallet racking on mm -hmm. online one time. And I was like, dude, I could totally go like pour some concrete footers, yeah. put pallet racking up and then like throw an old camper up on top of it. I haven't done that yet. That'd be, that'd be <laughs> a little too redneck for me even. Yeah. Um, but my, my mom actually 
they they've started doing that in Wisconsin. They're, mm-hmm. They they'll build a deck, a deck platform out in the yeah. woods, and even if it's just like four or five feet off the ground, some mm-hmm. of them are like two feet off the ground, like where it hits the hill, and then yeah. it'll be a few feet taller on the front side, mm-hmm. and then they just put a pop up blind on top of it. Yeah, and I'm like, geez, that seems like one you're building a whole deck out there obviously (laughs) you guys had the leftover deck from when you tore it apart and i'm like even just building a big deck seems like a lot of work and then you're putting the pop-up blind on it but i mean if it works for them it works right whatever works i think didn't meat eater do like a most redneck blind deal did you see that they had like a contest where you sent you they had people send in like the most redneck deer stand or hunting blind or something like that and <laughs> and there were some pretty oddball ones out there i bet i've seen some crazy things for sure i have a buddy who uh his girlfriend's farm they had a, just a bunch of old campers her dad kind of just collected cars and whatnot and so they just have like i think it's three two or three campers just parked on the sides of different cow pastures and they've been there for years they all have mr buddy heaters in them and they go sit at the kitchen table turn on the buddy heater and wait for the deer to come by (laughs) (laughs) that yeah i i feel like anytime you put a camper out in the woods it's bound to have like hundreds of mice inside of it and i don't know that i'd care for that looking out for deer and just having mice all over the place (laughs) but i i thought it would be really funny we bought a school bus at one point and we were going to renovate it into an rv Mm -hmm. but i was like it'd be really awesome if i had the equipment to stand a school bus like on end mm-hmm. and then do a blind in the top part of it, the you know, a platform and you climb up the inside. Like yeah, even if you just had to climb up the seat backs all the way up <laughs> to your blind, uh, that, that might take the cake on, on that competition. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to start, I think this year I'm going to try to branch out more. I say this, we'll see if it actually happens, but I want to kind of try to, branch out more in experience, more public land hunting with mm-hmm. my bow. I don't know that I'm, I'm ready to brave the orange army yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I think if I start with bow, that might be a good spot to get my feet wet. Yeah. It's definitely when, some, uh, some longer walks. It's a little easier during bow season because there's a little less hunting pressure. So you don't have to go quite as far to get away from everybody, but the more boots on the ground, the better. And there was, lots of weekends that I was almost on the ground more than I was in the, the stand just because we'd hunt the morning and then go scout out a new area, come back, take a quick shower and, and go back in. So how, how many days a year do you think you're getting out um, during deer season? When I first started, this is one of my favorite funny facts to tell folks. My first year deer hunting, my dad was dedicated to him and I spending as much time together and in the woods as we can. And I think all together from September 15th to January 15th, the season closes, I only missed six weekends of season. And that was when we were hunting public land that was hour and 50 minutes from my house. We were driving every weekend. My mom was not always about it, but also knew that it was just a great time for my dad and I anymore. I mean, I'd say I still probably hunt eight to 10 weekends out of the, the season, but I'm sprinkling waterfowl, especially if the deer hunting has not been crazy good. If I'm not seeing too much, then 
we're definitely heading to the duck blind instead because my buddies and I enjoy doing that together. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a bummer when when you've got really good friends that are duck hunters and you love deer hunting and a cold front's coming through and they're like, dude, the weather's coming. It's going to push birds in. You're like, it's also going to get deer on their feet. And then you have yeah. to, you have to always decide. Uh, lately, I just have said, screw it to duck hunting when I've got good deer hunting weather because inevitably I'll go out and deer or in duck hunt with my buddies we'll shoot like four ducks and be so pumped about it and then i'll come back and check my trail camera and sure enough i had a big buck walk through during daylight and and i was concerned with shooting the the meat equivalent of like the rib cage on a deer. yeah Yeah. where does it fall for you like what what is what takes priority um between deer and duck i would say this year it was definitely duck and it's kind of starting to shift that way just because it's more social and i just kind of like to be around other people i like my time in the deer woods to be alone and just me but then there's also those days where you can't really be you know being in the blind with with good buddies so yeah that I feel like duck hunting is a really good one to get to get first timers out for. You know, yeah. you're not worrying about your scent, you're not worrying about your sound, even yeah. even movement until you have birds working. And mm-hmm. you know, you might flare a couple because you didn't notice they were coming in and you were screwing around. Or yeah. inevitably, anytime someone is going to take a pee, lighting a cigar, or a cigarette, or anything mm-hmm. like there are birds that will be dumping into your decoys when nobody's paying attention, but uh, you just have to make sure it's the right duck hunt to get a first timer out on because you could ruin them on duck hunting forever. Um, If it's one of those miserable cold days where you don't see anything. Um, But at the same time, I like when people have to earn their first bird. Mm -hmm. I don't like the easy hunts where they get out and they're like, Oh dude, this I don't know what the big deal is. Like we limited out so quickly. Yeah. That's like the worst thing for a new person to experience. They might get hooked on it, but they've got a very bad representation of what it actually is. Yeah. It's kind of like that too, with all hunting in general. So last year I got my girlfriend out for her first uh, Missouri deer season. And she kept joking about how it wasn't going to take any time and she'd shoot her first deer (laughs) within the first hour and all this. And she's like, you spend all this time in the woods and blah, 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 whatever. Opening morning comes and last year was cold and rainy. And I was like, these are not, you know, great conditions. At this point, I'm crossing my fingers. We're seeing a deer. Cause I'm like, this is going to ruin it for her. She's never going to come back out here. I'll be darned if it wasn't within the first 40 minutes of first light. And I'm pretty sure that the guy on the neighboring property had just shot at a deer because we heard a shot not too far off in the distance and it wasn't 15 minutes and here comes this deer trotting up in the field and it was just a spike but with first timers i'm like what you know whatever you want and i was honestly kind of dozing with the rain on the ground blind and everything and i was she goes there's a deer and I was, you know sit up and look around and sure enough he was coming he walked right across the field he come out like 40 yards turned away from us and walked for a second and we got her up on the gun and everything and I was like, can you see him? She said, yeah, I got him. So we stopped him, 
she dropped him in his tracks and she was, I told you, this isn't hard. Can we go back and have breakfast? Oh, gosh. And so, but then I made her hunt public land last year and <laughs> we hunted all weekend and we saw one deer and she realized very quickly that it doesn't always happen in the first 45 minutes. Yeah. My, my mother is a diehard deer hunter. I mean, as hardcore, well, she used to be super hardcore with it. And, uh, I took my wife out. I want to say it was like for the first two seasons after we got married, she didn't get a license. She would just come and sit like one time a year with me. And I think one time we saw a deer and the other time we didn't. And, and that was basically her experience deer hunting. Well, all growing up, my mom never let me sit with her like ever. She, she was like, everyone's too smelly, too noisy. They move too much. Like you're going to ruin my deer hunt. You're not sitting with me type of thing. And I bring my, my wife up to Wisconsin for the annual, you know, holiday of deer season. And my mom's like, Oh, do you want to come sit with me? And I'm like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. (laughs) So my mom takes my wife out hunting and opening day within an hour, like from the start of shooting, they were already back at the house, like drinking hot chocolate and hanging out with the dead deer. And I'm like, Oh man. And of course my mom and my wife, they both come back and they're like, what have you been doing wrong this whole time? Like, this is how easy it is. Like we were back before you were even, you know, fully awake type of deal. And I'm like, shut up. The last thing I need is two of you trying to tell me how easy this is. And anybody can shoot one in 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, my wife, my wife did get to get her first year and that was awesome. Like getting her to experience it. Um, she was still kind of, she was still kind of curious. She's like, is this, is this what you do? Like you come and just sit on the edge of this seat, like in a tree all day long. And I'm like, yeah, isn't it great? And she's like, this is so boring. She's like, I have so many things that I could be doing right now. And I'm like, oh, well, You'll probably feel different if a giant buck steps out, but mm-hmm. um, she ended up getting one and she had a ton of fun doing yeah. it. Um, but yeah, she was just kind of confused. She's like, man, this is a lot of time that you just sit around not doing anything. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. 
feel like until you experience the adrenaline rush and the success though, it seems like that until you get to that, to that payoff, you know, cause yeah. it's kind of some days it can be really boring, but then once, and I experience it even more so when I bow hunt, cause there's something about, you know, when that deer's 50, 70, hundred yards away during gun season, you still get the shakes a little bit, but it's not the same as having a, a white tail within 10 yards. And you're like, this thing has no idea that I'm here and you know, you can watch them or whatever, and then execute what you've practiced for. So, you know, you think about, you dream about, you practice all the hours you put in for, for that moment. And the adrenaline rush is like no other. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something totally different about it when you're sitting there, especially by yourself. I find myself like, just visualizing how it's going to play out or, you know, there you go an hour or two without hearing or seeing anything and it can get discouraging. But then all of a sudden you just have that thought like, man, I've been here before and it can change in a minute. Like Mm -hmm. one minute could just change your entire day. It could change your entire deer season. And then you're just like, Oh man, I hope, I hope I hear that twig snap behind me. Or I hope I catch that glimpse out of the corner of my eye. And uh, it gives me a new boost of energy. And I, I tell people, I'm like, until you're out there and you see it, you'll be there. You'll be getting discouraged. And even if you see a deer on the neighbor's property, 400 yards away, it just like revitalizes you instantly. And you're ready yeah. to sit for a couple more hours. Yeah. Cause it's like you said, it can all come and go so fast. You know, how many deer can you say that you're sitting there and had no idea until maybe they were within 40 yards and you're like, holy crap, it's happening right now. Like that deer is in the thicket yeah. and you know, it comes and goes and the whole encounter is maybe less than 50 seconds from the time you see him to the time it's, it's done. You know, one of those deer I shot two years ago, he came up and I was actually sending a good morning text, telling my mom I was in the stand, all was good. And I looked down and no sooner than I looked back up and he was right there. And I was like, oh my, like it just all happens. And it was 60 seconds later, there was an arrow in him. It's all less than, you know, Dude, they, they know when to come in. They know when to catch you off guard. Yeah. I had the same thing this last year. Um, the doe that I shot with my bow, I was, I don't remember if I had just switched podcast networks or I was doing something where I was like retitling and naming uh, my podcast episodes or I, mm-hmm. whatever it was. It, it was something that, to have to do with podcasting and I was going through one episode at a time. And as I was doing it, I, I looked down and I, I think it was episode 32 I was working on and I just hear a snap and I'm like, that, that wasn't a squirrel. That was like a good snap, you know? (laughs) And I just barely looked down to my right and basically right underneath my right elbow was a deer. I mean, (laughs) at the base of my tree and I'm like, what the heck, man? Like (laughs) it is crunchy out here. I thought 100% I would hear something long before it got close to me. And yeah, it was just, it was there. And I was like, I don't even know if I can move right now. And so I just started moving really slow and it was a young doe, which was one of the things I was out there for that day. And man, I, I like grabbed my bow off my left side, got, got my release and I shoot a thumb release now. And so I just Mm -hmm. keep it, keep it clipped on the D loop all the time. And so I like grabbed it turned and yeah, luckily I got a shot on it. 
mm-hmm. and it just it can just change so quickly and until you've had like those experiences mm-hmm. that's the rush that i chase you know yeah. just that random twig or mm-hmm. the glimpse of something or uh, the worst sound ever is hearing a deer blow at yeah. you but even then sometimes it's like an adrenaline rush because you're like they're here they're here yeah. like at least i know they're in the area yeah and there's so many lessons to be learned from those encounters too you know when i can think back to what could have been the opportunity for me to shoot my first buck with my bow i was back when i was hunting a lot of public land and my dad and i had hiked into this spot you know early in the morning carried our climbers in on our backs and we kind of had an idea of which two trees we were going to head to. And there was one big tall oak tree had been dropping a ton of acorns. So we were pretty sure that the deer had been moving on the, one of the trails through there. And then there was another one kind of down off the peninsula where you could see down into the, this valley off the edge of the ridge. And they'd been crossing that ridge line. Well, the oak tree was kind of the, the better spot for the morning, but I just kind of had a gut feeling about going down the hill. So against my better judgment i was like dad you take the oak tree and and i'll go down the hill well sure enough he calls me on the radio and he you know hey i just smoked one watched him go about 60 yards pretty sure he piled up and here i am you know kicking myself because dad's like you know he walked right in he did it he was eating acorns at 10 yards and i was like man why did i why did i give that tree up you know and i'm flustered i turn around toss the radio down in my backpack and i turn back around and here's a big 10 pointer walk on the ridge he's 15 yards from me and my bow is hanging in the tree and I'd taken my release off and was ready to get down and go help my dad so if I had just stayed calm and collected sat back down for a minute and just waited it out we maybe could have left with two because he was I mean he was right on top of me but threw the radio down and I just turned fast because I was like you know you get in that zone and you're like man why did I do that he was right there and my rapid turn he looks up at me and Tony was so dang man yeah that's rough i've i've had plenty of moments like that and i i always have to remind myself like no matter what when i'm in the tree stand it's game time yeah as much as it seems like it might not be there's one there's one person that hunt that sorry that doesn't hunt they live like over my right shoulder on the neighboring property and it's quite a ways from where i'm sitting but it's close enough to where like, if it's a calm day, if there's not a lot of wind, I can hear the conversations that they're having in their backyard. And there's times when they're out there and their dogs barking and I can hear them walking around and the kids. And I'm just like, gosh, this is going to ruin my entire hunt. And right when I've kind of given up hope, I'll look to my left and a doe just bounced over the, over the fence into the field with me. And I'm like, Oh man, like deer are so used to people and they know when there's a threat and when there's not yeah. deer don't really get scared about people talking. Now, mm-hmm. if somebody moves really fast in a treetop, they're like, that's mm-hmm. not normal, you know? But, uh, if, if they're just hanging out in the backyard, deer hear that mm-hmm. kind of junk all the time. Yeah. Um, what, what has it been like? I, I know you mentioned that you and your family got like a hundred acres. Mm-hmm. How long ago did that happen? So that's been, I guess probably about five years ago now. I was a junior in high school. I'm a junior in college now. So right around five years-ish. But just kind of 
something my grandpa had always wanted us to have some, you know, some ground to call or somewhere to go to ride four withers and deer hunt and just be outside. Cause we all, all just enjoy being outdoors, whether it's chasing turkeys or shooting squirrels in the summertime, you know, whatever. So we were fortunate enough to find a little piece of ground and we've done some, you know, a little bit of work to help the habitat plant some clover and build some stuff to make it recreational, but it's not the most stellar spot to deer hunt. It's a lot of rocks, a lot of ridges, but we've, Killed some deer off of it and something to call your own. So it's a good little place for us. Man, that's that's awesome. I've I've always said, like, I just want that place. And my wife and I have been looking at property uh online, you know, hoping that hoping that the prices come down a little bit still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just trying to find something. I've got a lot of friends right now that are picking up five and ten acre chunks. Mm-hmm. and even seeing them kill deer on their own property i'm like see yeah. that's it's so cool and you don't have to have the biggest chunk of land obviously yeah. everybody who's into the outdoors wants the biggest chunk of land but yeah. i'm like dude give me 15 acres yeah i'd be so pumped i'd be so happy i've killed deer off of little 20 acre strips before mm-hmm. i've watched deer you know every day walk through five acre chunks of land and yeah. uh yeah, I think just to have that spot to call my own would mm-hmm. be pretty sweet. And it's just something to call yours and you can have a map and, you know, these are our stands and these are our wins to hunt it and really just like focus and hone in on on a plan and not have to worry about somebody riding through on a four-wheeler or somebody doing something that, you know, screws up your plan or whatever. You know, we've got a big family group chat and, hey, I'm going, I'm going out today, I'm going to to this food plot or I'm going to be sitting, you know, down in this Creek bottom or whatever. And just to have something to know that this is ours, nobody else is going to be there. It's just us. Yeah. How, how has that changed? I mean, going from hunting public land to having a chunk of your own. Uh, it's kind of nice because I don't have to pack a stand in every day. (laughs) I grew up carrying a big old climber on my back from the time I, started hunting until we got this piece of ground so it's nice to just be able to roll up and maybe it's made me lazy a little bit in a sense of the stands already there so i can show up you know 25 30 minutes before shooting light and just walk in and be done with it but it's also nice to be able to strategize and have your cameras out all year and watch your bucks grow watch you know your population uh you know your population control kind of know what's there get an idea for, for which deer in the area. And yeah. it's just fun to see those, you know, just kind of track the the movement and the genetics. And then you can really play, play chess. It's kind of harder to play chess with the deer on, on public land. Cause you know, Jim Bob from down the road could kill him and you don't ever know about it, which the same kind of thing can happen, but you talk to your neighbors more than you do the random guys that hunt public land. So we all can kind of work you know, working a little bit together, but we definitely have had some good deer pass through and it's always fun and gets you kind of excited. And you're like, you know, that's my stand. Nobody else is going to that stand except, <laughs> you know, somebody in my family. So it's nice to see that kind of stuff work through and kind of get you amped up and makes you work a little harder at times to get those opportunities on some of those deer. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys, do you guys do stuff year round on the property? Like now that spring's coming or, do you guys get out there and shed hunt and, and turkey hunt and morel hunt, or do you guys 
uh, keep it pretty locked down until until deer season. No, we turkey hunted quite a bit, and like I said, it was kind of recreational for a lot of my family too, because uh, like my mom and my aunt don't don't come out and hunt with us. So if we just kept it all locked up all the time, they wouldn't necessarily get to use it. So we go out in the summer and we shoot, you know, shoot our guns, shoot our shotguns. We'll turkey hunt all spring and we've got a couple of freshwater creeks that run through it with some deeper holes. So we go out and swim in the creek. We built a big pavilion out there last summer up on top of one of the ridges for campfires and barbecue and whatnot. So it's kind of a mix and I'm sure that probably disadvantages our deer hunting a little bit, but there's also a ton of thick brush and timber all around. There's not the only field space that we have is fields that we've created by hand. So we don't mess with those a lot during the summer. You know, once turkey season's over, we kind of keep those those areas locked up and we just ride the ride the roads on the four wheelers and kind of go out and have fun and piddle. But the heart of the farm stays kind of locked up per se. Yeah. No, that's cool that you've you you can kind of have different sections that you can use even when you're trying to keep pressure off of one area. Um, I've I've always on any property I'm on, um, I just love being out there, and so it would be very difficult for me to be like I only use this during deer season, or like even hearing hearing people like the Drurys or like Mark Kenyon. Mm-hmm. who who's kind of switched over to not really doing a ton of trail camera pulls checking them and using that data for the next year yeah. i'm like man i love trail cameras like i love going and checking them i love mm-hmm. going and pulling the card and just like oh please let there be a big one all right am i finally gonna have deer in right now or watching the velvet and yeah. like you see all these bucks just starting to sprout and then all of a sudden there's one with six already when everybody else is just nubs and you're yeah. like, Oh man, what's he, who is he, who's he going to turn into? Yeah. Um, yeah. To have property that you can use for all sorts of different things, mm-hmm. unless I make millions and millions of dollars and I can <laughs> afford to only have whitetail properties and then have just waterfowl properties. Um, yeah. I think I'll always use the property for everything. Yeah. And that's, you know, I said, that's kind of how, how we are. It would be, we like to be out too much and do too much to just lock it down for, for deer season. You know, we want to go out and hang out and just use it as a spot for us all to get together. So it's a multi-purpose property. Yeah. Do you have, do you have, um, any, I mean, you said turkey hunting and deer hunting. You've got some creeks that run through. Does it hold any waterfowl at all? No, not really. So it's kind of more central heart of the state. Sometimes the snows fly over and I'll hear them, but there's not really a flyway for the snows. They're too crazy. They just go everywhere. So we don't get really any waterfowl. Other than, you know, some local geese that hang out on the golf course. It's not too far away, but that's about it. Dude, you got to get in with the golf course owner. Yeah. Got to do some cleanup. I've, I've heard of people doing that before and, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to be part of that pest control. Yeah. There's a, a golf course that's right by my parents' house. And I actually just met the owner a couple of weeks ago and I've been trying to convince him that the deer are tearing his greens up too bad. And he needs <laughs> to let me come do a little bit of population control. Cause I asked him, you know, when I met him, I was like, you ever have any trouble with the, 
the deer tearing up your greens and he's like all the time and so i kind of tried to drop a little hint that you know we could help with that situation but there's a lot of liability that goes in on that too i'm sure so yeah i found i found that uh farmers are a lot more prone to give you access than business owners i grew up right next to a tree farm and it was a big tree farm and the amount of bedding in there for deer like because they had they had every type of christmas tree you can imagine but then they had big chunks of like woods where there were where there were pine trees so close together you couldn't even see in there and i'm like dude i guarantee there's deer that hang out in there i mean you could see the trails where they let in there thinking Mm -hmm. about going in there and shed hunting i'm like dude this is a paradise and at one point i worked for the tree farm so i'm like oh this is a shoe in like they'll definitely definitely let me Nope, I could not get to hunt in or get permission to hunt in there to save my life, and it drove me crazy. Yeah. Are you are you guys uh, being on that side of the state? Is it a lot of farmland? Do you guys get a lot of crops and um, like cornfields, bean fields, things like that? Uh, not necessarily out by our hunting property, but by my house and some of the places we hunt up here in the city do have have some because we're pretty close to like Chesterfield and St. Charles. And so those are kind of have some, some farm ground around them. We actually, it's kind of funny. My buddies that I waterfowl hunt with were riding around one day and found this little kind of not secluded cornfield, but it's right off the river and just outside of the Chesterfield bottoms, which anybody that is from around here knows it's like a big strip mall. There's a top golf and, you know, it's very kind of industrialized area to go down to, but with it being right off the river and all these businesses have all these water features and ponds and stuff, the waterfowl like to hang out in the town. My buddies had seen some birds roosting in this farm field. And so they drove down and took the farmer a case of beer and asked him if we could hunt the last day of goose season. And we shot eight in one, eight geese in one morning that were just getting up out of town and they were flying towards the river and we put out a huge spread out in the snow and it was one of the most fun more, more fun hunts that we've had this this season just because it was like who would think to get this close to the city to try to shoot waterfowl but they all like the water features and stuff down in the town so we were just trying to cut them off before they could get back to the river yeah those those spots man they get comfortable and they just yeah. don't worry about anything else and mm-hmm. yeah sometimes you can sneak in there and get them before they get they get wise to your tricks um do you do you do a lot of traveling to hunt or do you keep it pretty localized um between the family farm and and then where you waterfowl i would say i usually keep it within two hours for the most part i mean sometimes we'll make a drive up to some of those conservation areas a little further north like ted shanks and up towards uh columbia area boonville a little bit but Usually most of my drives are all within two hours head down South to duck Creek every once in a while, but yeah. Are you, uh, do you have any, any bucket list hunts that you're wanting to do? I feel like right now is like a great time to be alive as far as knowing about different opportunities around the country and then like the ease of access or like putting in for points for different States or even dude, there are so many States that have pretty cheap non-resident tags mm-hmm. um uh, have you thought about have you thought about branching out and going doing 
going and doing any of those big game hunts or exotic waterfowl hunts? Yeah, so I think it'd be really fun to do an Arkansas timber waterfowl hunt if I could get down there for one. And then I want to go somewhere west, doesn't really matter to me where, and try to kill an elk. Those are two big bucket list ones for me. And I would do the elk with my bow for sure. So Dude, elk with a bow would be nuts. I feel like everybody at this point has seen that video of the bull elk that comes in the kit, like that 13 year old kid shoots it in the chat, like yeah. straight on. Yeah. And I'm like, it doesn't happen that way, guys. Like that, <laughs> that is, there's, there's a reason there's only like one really well-known video like that. Yeah. Um, but I've, I need to experience it like with a bow in hand and mm -hmm. elk just screaming yeah, and you know my my hair on my neck standing on end, not knowing for sure what route they're going to come from, but just trying to get set up to get yeah. a clean shot at one. That'd be so cool. Elk hunting is a blast, even with a rifle. But I would imagine that it's compounded twenty times uh, if you have a bow in your hand. Yeah, I get goosebumps just like watching hunting TV, hearing the elk bugle. So being able to like be in the heart of the mountains and hearing them all screaming. I think it would just be so much fun. Dude, there's there's something different about it. And even hearing like uh Sika deer over in over in Maryland, mm -hmm. apparently they've got a pretty wicked bugle too. They're like the Japanese deer that kind of got introduced. And um there's something about vocal big game animals. Yeah. And I wish there were more like big game animals that just made a ton of noise and you could call to them like yeah. with with deer you know you can call to them you can do the grunting and the rattling and the snort wheezing yeah you can even pretend to be making a scraper or rub but they're not gonna like rip a bugle you know yeah. you might hear a grunt if you're lucky a yeah. lot of people don't you might hear them fighting in the woods but there's something about animals that are extremely bugle and aggressive during the rut. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's why even with duck hunting, turkey hunting, elk hunting, people get hooked on it because the communication is there between yeah. you and the animal. And you can actually have that interaction and convince mm -hmm. them to come in. Yeah. And that's like one of the things too, that when you take a new person, like waterfowl hunting or like try to get them into their first turkey call or their first duck call. And nobody really realizes how tough it is to get a good convincing vocalization until you put a call in their hand. And they're like, you sound like that, but I sound like a party horn. Like, what is the difference? And it's all about how you can manipulate your vocals and stuff. But it's fun to have that challenge to have to learn and like try to speak the language of the animal and know like, especially with waterfowl hunting, like what sound the ducks are making when they're feeding on the water versus when they're flying in the air and like what calls. Cause by the time they get to, you know, sometimes even the central part of Missouri, they've heard a lot of calls coming down from Minnesota, coming across Iowa in the Northern part of Missouri. So you kind of have to change it up some days, you know, especially if you're hunting publicly cause they hear hail call after hail call as they fly over these flooded fields. So is it just a soft feed chatter? Do you try a bouncing hand? Do you hit them with just a drake whistle? Or do you just sit there? There have been a lot of mornings. You don't even have to call. If you just set a decent decoy spread and you sit there and be quiet, you'll kill more ducks when you blow it than when you blow a call because they get call shy. We shot a limit on a conservation area two years ago. It was a full 
mallard limit and it was almost all drakes we shot two hens and we didn't blow a call all morning got kind of lucky with being where they wanted to go but also everybody else was trying to hammer them and break them down and it was kind of a cold snowy morning so they were kind of low anyways and we just let the motion of the water do the work and we shot the crap out of them see and and that's where i i've noticed being in missouri that calling isn't king you know Mm -hmm. like you don't have to call even if you're a great caller sometimes it's better to not make noise we we saw firsthand um that take place this year like we were we were sitting there and you know the first group of birds that came in we had called and and we Mm -hmm. shot them and it was great but then all of a sudden it kind of like died down Mm mid-morning and randomly we were sitting there talking not really paying attention you know because we had one of those lulls in the morning where you just don't see much flying and all of a sudden we look and there's like three of them locked up i mean Mm -hmm. in our laps already and it's like hey right here right here take them and we popped up and shot and it's like dude we didn't even call yeah uh maybe let's not call and sure enough there were a couple other times throughout the morning where birds Mm -hmm. snuck in on us or we'd see them and we're like let's just see what they do they seem interested Mm -hmm. and they did now when i see them far out like way out i still always call just to try to get their attention but yeah. man, when they're coming in, there's no reason to mess up a good thing. And I'll tell you right now, I am not the world's best waterfowl caller. I enjoy doing it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I would say I'm, I may be a little bit better than average, but mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to win any ribbons. No. I'm not going to pull birds down from a mile up. Like yeah. they have to kind of be interested already mm-hmm. in order for me to convince them the full way. And I'm the same way. And even with geese too, you know, they just, with us being kind of a middle state, you got to feel them out. If it's a bird that's especially see it more with geese than ducks, but if that lead bird has already heard, a lot of times we like to say, if you can get the lead bird's attention, you can get the rest of the of the flock. They always like to follow whoever's in the front. But if that, you got to watch how that lead bird reaction. If you start hammering them and he starts kind of going away, Maybe you just soft cluck a little bit and hit them with a flag and then just go quiet. And sometimes that's all it takes. You just got to get them to see the decoys and then don't do anything because you're more likely to scare them away than anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the really frustrating part is when you see ducks starting to peel off and come in and then the lead bird Mm -hmm. is like, no, I'm going this way and it pulls them all back up. Yeah. I probably talk more in the blind and give people like the John Madden play by play more than anybody cares to hear, but I'm like, Oh, we got two peeling off. Okay. never mind. They joined back up. Yeah. That one bird let them away. And, and I'm like, man, if I was hunting with me, I'd probably get really annoyed, but I don't know. I just, I just get so giddy. I can't help myself when there's birds in the air, when we've had a couple good shots or I mean, deer hunting, anything I like, I like keeping people up to date. Yeah. Well, it's kind of nice sometimes to have a guy like that too, though. If you've got one guy who's whoever's the most concealed in the blind and can kind of keep an eye on them and everybody else can just be head down and, and work on their calls, you know, my buddies and I kind of got a system like that too, where one of us will look up and it'll just be, we've hunted enough together where we can kind of feed off of whatever, whoever's look watching the birds. You know, they kind of lead the sequence and the rest of us just follow. So if they soften up, we soften up. They go hard as the birds are going away, then we kind of know to pick it up and go hard. But 
to have that guy that can whisper, all right, they're behind us, you know, hammer them or they're off on the side, they're working, you know, go soft for a second. Somebody who can can see and, like you said, give a play-by-play so that everybody's on the same page of, of what's happening. And Because it always sucks, too, when one guy thinks you said go and he stands up and the birds are still, you know, 50 yards out, but they were going to finish right in your face and now everybody's just trying to scramble real fast. And Oh, yeah. I, I can't stand being the guy that's in the dark. Like <laughs> – yeah. Not being able to see, they'll be like, oh, coming around behind us. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what what else are they doing? Like, they're not yeah. still behind us. Where are they? Yeah, where are they like, go? Oh, uh, give them one more pass. And it's like, which direction are they coming from? I need to know more information. Um, but that's all right. I mean, I, I feel like we used to joke all the time in Colorado when I lived out there. We would always have somebody that was designated to flag the geese right? Mm-hmm. The flag guy could never do it right. No matter what, everybody would yell at him like flag more flag less, put that flag down. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> and, and it was just kind of always the running joke, like, Oh man, make him be the flag guy. So we can all yell at him. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like it's the same with calling. It's the mm-hmm. same with decoys, you know, yeah. you set up decoys and it might be a perfect spread or what you think would be a perfect spread. But as soon as one group doesn't like it or doesn't commit, it's like, what do we do wrong? Who set up the spread? Why do we set it up that way? You know, the excuses and the finger pointing starts, but uh, it all makes for a good time. Yeah. Well, man, I, I appreciate you hopping on with me. I can't believe it. Like it, it happens every time we get to an hour before it even seems like the conversation began. Um, But you're pretty close, man. You're not that far at all. I mean, nothing in Missouri is super far away. I feel like we need to, we need to get together and do a hunt sometime. I feel like that'd be a great time. Uh, if you're ever down in the Springfield area, we'll make it work or we find some place, meet in the middle, go hit some like really good waterfowl property or something. Um, before we hop off though, uh, I want to give you a chance to share with listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along. Yeah. So I like to, post all my hunts and just some day-to-day content on my Instagram. So it's N Herschler, H-O-E-R-C-H-L-E-R on Instagram. Uh, see some pictures of my fishing or I like to post a lot of my fitness stuff. I work out a lot, but a lot of outdoor stuff on there too. So looking for somebody small to go follow that's not blasting you every day. Feel free. Nice, man. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's definitely stay in touch and – Good luck this season. Turkey season's coming up. Uh, do you do you put trail cameras out to to scout turkeys? Not necessarily as much for turkeys. I just kind of run and gun. I go out and that opening morning, hit them with a hoot, and wherever they're gobbling at, we go chase them. So I got a couple happenstance pictures because my trail cams are soft from deer season. So we pulled cards a couple weeks ago, and there's a couple toms running in some of the food plots. So that'll probably be a a first spot opening morning to go to go hit because they've been coming down and feeding some of that clover so we'll try to break them off the roost and get them in the field but if not we'll hit the timber and we'll go find them nice i i typically put trail cameras back out if i don't already have them out um i'll put them back out and get ready for turkey season just to see if i can get them patterned and i haven't yeah. done it this year so <laughs> Uh, I'm going to be out near the property tomorrow. So I'm going to put them out tomorrow and hopefully fingers crossed something will, something will pop up and I can get them figured out before opening day. Yeah. 
Well, man, yeah, good luck to you. Thanks again for hopping on and, uh, and good luck the rest of the season. Yeah. Thank you. And that is going to wrap it up for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I had a ton of fun chatting with Nick and it's always good to talk to fellow Missourians and get their take on what hunting is like here in the show me state. Now, I'm looking forward to getting out and hunting this next year with some of these people getting together. Maybe I I really do just need to lock down a central location where I can have a ton of my guests, a ton of podcast listeners together. We can hang out, share stories, do like a game cook off or something like that. Maybe some shooting competitions. I don't know. We're going to turn it into an amazing event. And I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing about me talking about these get togethers when they haven't happened yet, but I promise they are coming maybe right before this fall, right before all the seasons kick off. Maybe we'll just do a giant like outdoor kickoff. That's what we're going to, I'll find a catchy name for it. Anyways, Nick, Nick is a super awesome dude. And it sounds like he has a ton of success up there in Northeastern Missouri. And I just look forward to connecting with him going out on the hunt. A lot of these guys recently have been phenomenal dudes and they've been pretty close and I've got a lot more somewhat local, I guess, neighboring state guests lined up. And so, yeah, I, there's so many opportunities here in Missouri and there's so many different types of hunting. Like I talked to a guy who is super into woodcock hunting and he's like one of the foremost people on woodcock hunting in the country or at least in the state. And, uh, I met him like dove hunting. I would have never guessed that woodcock hunting was a thing, but there's a lot of opportunities here that I think I'm still missing out on. And I'm sure you guys have the same thing in your neck of the woods. So hopefully you guys are getting out there finding different passions and pursuits that maybe you didn't know about before, uh, diving into more research on what is available to you through your state agencies. But anyways, Hopefully you're getting out, enjoying turkey season. Maybe it's already over for you. Maybe you've already tagged out or you're still waiting on that first bird. Either way, until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.